As a woman, we know to expect our periods to visit us about once a month. We know that in the days leading up, we might experience certain symptoms that can be less than desirable. But how much do we actually know about our own cycles and the different ways that we can support it to thrive? This month at the Joyful Flamingo is all about cycles, a mini series of four episodes that I cannot wait to share with you each Wednesday in the month of February. And today, we're kicking it off with an ode to our blood and an overview of what's actually happening inside our bodies during our cycle. If you are a woman, if you live with a woman, keep listening. Lots of insight coming up. Well, hey there, friend, and welcome to the Joyful Flamingo podcast. I'm your host, Emily Schreiber, and I am obsessed with empowering women to tune into themselves, to zoom in on their own well-being, so in turn, they can lead their most vibrant, aligned, and joyful lives. I want to create a tsunami of self-discovered, self-loved, and self-understood women to show up in this world unapologetically and joyfully and to pass the torch on for generations to come. If any of that feels aligned with your vibe, stick around. I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's go find our joy. Good morning, good morning, Flockies. I'm so excited for February here at the Joyful Flamingo. I know that traditionally February is the month of love with Valentine's Day in there, but as I was mapping out this quarter for the pod last year, I had something in my heart telling me to focus on a love letter in February for the female. And what better way to do that than to focus on the very thing that makes us unique against our male friends. And that's our hormonal cycle. I have learned so much about my body, about my hormones, about my cycle in the past year. Truth be told, it wasn't until I actually went in search of this information for myself that I started to really learn about it. I really want to share the knowledge that I've gained with all of you. But first, of course, a review of the pod. (sighs) Haley Howe, she gave us a nice review. She said, love it. So nice to relate to another woman. I've struggled through burnout and no village, raising two under two during a pandemic with constant comparison. I'm here for it. See you each week. Oh, can I just say how much I love Wednesdays? Thank you, Haley Howe, for that beautiful review. I'm so glad that you found a place where you feel like you belong. I just love how much Wednesdays has become this this day of our community of people coming together each week. The fact that I show up either in your homes or your cars or your pockets and you look forward to this day of the week so much is so amazing to me. It's truly such a dream. So thank you, Haley Howe, for coming to listen each and every week. If you haven't yet made a review of the pod, please go and do that. We love hearing from you. All right, let's just get right into it, shall we? Menstruation, otherwise known as Aunt Flo, that time of the month, Code Red, (laughs) Shark Week, oh, that's horrible, Being on the Rag, the Red Badge of Courage. I mean, can we just stop with all of this? Why do we always feel the need to insert euphemisms when we're talking about our monthly bleed. 
it happens to 50% of the population or more, because I think there's actually slightly more females than males on earth, 50% of the population for decades of our lives. And yet we still feel uncomfortable about it. We still don't fully understand it. And for some reason, we still have embarrassment around the process in which literally every human on the planet has been born because of. (laughs) Fun fact about blood. Did you know that on average, a woman will menstruate for a total of seven years in her lifetime? Seven years of each one of us spending our lives bleeding. And yet there is still so much about it that's stigmatized all around the world. So many taboos and myths that still circulate. Even here in Canada, I don't feel like young people, both male or female, get enough information and education about the entire cycle to be able to fully develop healthy habits for themselves and their families. There is so much what we call period poverty around the world. And if you haven't heard that term before, it basically means the lack of access to menstrual products for people to use for their personal hygiene. Also, the lack of access to education surrounding the female cycle. People face this inequity because of lots of different reasons. Maybe it's financial limitations or harmful social norms or attitudes towards menstruation, towards our cycle. And in 2023, a public opinion research survey that was conducted by Environics Research, am I pronouncing that right? Um, On behalf of Women and Gender Equality Canada, that survey that was conducted found that, listen to this, one in four Canadians agrees that periods are dirty and unclean. There was a long pause there because I just really had to think about that again. That is insane to me. One in four Canadians agree that periods are dirty and unclean. And about one in five agree that menstruation should not be publicly discussed. That's 22%. And that menstrual products should be kept out of sight. What? 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 Can you believe that? Can you believe that? This outrages me. Still, in 2023, when I read that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Here in Canada, period poverty disproportionately impacts youths. Also, single mothers, Indigenous peoples, Black and other racialized communities, immigrants, people experiencing homelessness, people living with disabilities, gender-diverse individuals, and those who live in remote areas. This affects a lot of people, period poverty. And quite honestly, I could probably do an entire series just on this topic alone and what we can do as a society to bridge this gap. But we have a lot to talk about in these four episodes. So we are going to move forward. But I had to share those facts that I learned. It just, it, it is mind boggling to me. Question for you. Do you remember when you got your first period? Is there a story attached to it? Did you own a copy of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret (laughs) when you were a preteen? I did. I can still remember the cover art on my copy. It was like, it was three girls, looked like 70s or 80s, sitting together on the floor of one of their bedrooms, almost like a women's circle, but it was young women, just like the cusp of coming of age. This book came out many years ago. I think it was released in 1970, that book, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. That's a full 18 years before I was even born. So imagine if we are still in this time today where one in four people think that periods are dirty and unclean and and one in five think that we should not be talking about it. 
Imagine in 1970 the shock and the controversy behind an adolescent novel that spoke about menstruation and sexuality from a woman's perspective. And not only that, a young woman's perspective. I applaud. I'm like standing up and clapping. I applaud Judy Bloom, who's now 85, by the way, for releasing work that basically had a bullseye on it. To be honest, still does in some places today. Although Judy Bloom's work is groundbreaking and beloved amongst many, it also was and still is being banned even in 2023. 50 years after the original publish of some of her books. Bloom wrote many novels that spoke frankly about teens' issues, specifically, you know, sexuality and sexual health. And just last year, last year, 2023, Florida banned her book that's called Forever. And that book is the one that depicts basically the relationship of two seniors in high school who are having sex. Bans like this perpetuate the misinformation or the lack of information that young adults need in order to educate themselves on their sexual health and their sexual well-being. It makes me so sad. But again, another full episode on sexuality and censorship to come. That original question that made me get onto this whole kind of tangent on Judy Bloom: do you remember your first bleed? It made me think about this book because that book shows us the journey of a group of young females who are getting their periods for the first time. And so I thought it would be really powerful to read some stories of other people's first bleeds and to make that public, to celebrate that, to share that on a public forum. So I pulled all of you flockies again about your experiences and people were so open to sharing Everybody's story who's being shared today have all been asked if it's okay to share, and they're being shared anonymously on the pod, and they've all agreed. (laughs) I feel like I want to make that clear. I'm not like, I never will ask you for information through Instagram and never make sure that you're okay with me sharing it. I really felt like I wanted to offer this space where we are talking about it, where we don't feel uncomfortable about it, where we're sharing our stories, our experiences in a very public forum. So here we go. Let's hear about some of people's first bleeds. Flocky A says, I think I was 11. Such a baby. Funny, I was actually really into that book at the time. They're referring to, are you there, God? It's me or Margaret. It was really hard being the first girl to go through all of that. 11 is such a hard age. My oldest is 11, going to be 12 soon. She got hers a little earlier than me. And she's becoming more and more open to discussing things like that with me, which makes me so happy because my mom was always so open. I just can relate to her so much on how tough that can be navigating it with no friends alongside of you. Flocky B says, oh gosh, it was Christmas morning. What a great present. I had just turned 15. Flocky C says, In a Dairy Queen bathroom with my mom on the road to camp. (laughs) Then I had to figure out how to use tampons at summer camp. Oh, what a time. Flocky D says, grade five. I was one of the early girls and we were at a family reunion where everyone found out. Flocky E says, oh my God, mine was in class when I was 12. I went to the bathroom and it was brown. So I didn't realize it was a period because I hadn't even really talked about it yet at home. And it was brown. 
I didn't understand that blood could be brown. So I called my mom crying, saying that I think I had pooped myself and made her come and pick me up. These are getting to me right in the feels. I don't know why. (laughs) Okay, Flocky F says, I was 10 or maybe 11. I was in the bathroom and recognized I got my period and panicked and started yelling for my mom. My little sister walked in and was like, why are you yelling? And I said, just go get mom. And she, being the delightful little sister she was, refused. After some back and forth, I finally opened my legs while sitting on the toilet and showed her my underwear and said, I'm dying, go get mom. Full well knowing I wasn't dying. Her eyes went wide and she ran screaming from the bathroom for my mom. Boy, was my mom not happy she had to explain that to a five-year-old. Flucky G says, I got it the night before my bat mitzvah. The full experience of becoming a woman, of course. It was hilarious because I had to wear a white suit to the synagogue the next day, and my dress for the party was a white tutu. Of course, I was so embarrassed. And finally, Flocky H says, I got mine in grade six and was not mentally prepared. My parents were great, but I particularly remember my dad. He was quick to ask what I needed, if I needed to stay home from school and how he could support me, or whether it was just me knowing he knew that gave me comfort. Having my own girls now, I want them to feel as comfortable as I did with their dad knowing. It's a part of the female anatomy, and I want them to know they can ask either of us for support in whatever way they want. Oh God, I'm just so in love with our joyful flamingo flock. And if you listened to all of that and you're not, there's something wrong with you. It is bringing me to tears how many of you openly shared with me your visceral memories of your first bleed. It is such a beautiful thing. And there were more. So if I didn't get around to sharing your story, just know I had to cut it at some point. But we love you just the same. As you can hear, In these experiences, in these stories, it is something that sticks with people forever. It's a core memory, as it should be. This is monumental. There are so many feelings attached to it. It shapes how we want our girls to experience their first time or how we don't want them to experience it. There is something so powerful about reading other women's stories surrounding the beginning of their cycle. And just like Flocky G said, it's becoming a woman. It's massive. And we need more and more stories available for young people to hear about. It doesn't need to be taboo. It doesn't need to be shameful or embarrassing or something that we only talk about amongst females. It's a rite of passage. It's something beautiful. It's something with immense power. And I am so excited to help create even just a tiny slice of the world here online where it's celebrated. So thank you all for helping me do that and for submitting those first experiences with us. And if I may, send this episode to a flippin' man. My hot hubs was on the pod last week. So if you haven't gone and listened to that episode, go. It's funny. You'll be a fly on the wall in our relationship a little bit. It basically was the male perspective on everything we've chatted about so far on The Joyful Flamingo. And in the end of that episode, we briefly chatted about the fact that he knows a lot about my cycle, has learned a lot in the last year as I've been learning. In my opinion, all men should. So send this epi to your partners, to your dads, to your friends and sons and all the people in the world who have penises. (laughs) It helps them 
to understand what's happening within us, which helps us all cohabitate with so much more understanding and support. Why are we keeping them in the dark? Truly, why? Why? (sighs) I'm heated. I'm heated. My nose is running. I'm so heated. Okay. In Canada, learning about menstruation starts in grade five. I actually taught grade five for a number of years, so it's been a while. I had to remind myself. That's the curriculum you're learning when you're like 10 or 11 years old, okay? And I only taught grade five maybe for two years, and it was with a split grade. So not, I I didn't always teach the health component because sometimes if I was teaching like a four or five, I took the fours and they didn't get into that, and then another teacher took the five. So I wanted to remind myself of what was actually in that unit of curriculum. Like, what are we actually learning when menstruation is first introduced to us, when our cycle is first introduced to us? I remember it being brief. (laughs) I can say that much. I remember it being mostly scientific and not a lot about how you may feel. So I went and I got the newest version of the curriculum document so that I could make sure that I was speaking with knowledge and not using something that was outdated. In the curriculum, the point that talks about menstruation in the health curriculum for grade fives says this. Describe the processes of menstruation and spermatogenesis and explain how these processes relate to reproduction and overall development. Back in my day, I think we were actually divided into like males, females, which right off the hop, that shouldn't be happening anymore for obvious reasons. And then when we were divided into males and females, we really only focused on what was happening in our own body and didn't learn much about what was happening in the other one. Maybe like a very brief overview. But they divided us to really go into depth and detail. That's the start of our sexual health being taboo and hush-hush. Hopefully now, all humans learn in detail about all processes. At the beginning of our learning, in this grade 5 unit, we focus on the science behind what our bodies are doing. There's not a lot about what we can expect to feel. So I'm going to repeat what it actually describes in the curriculum. Describe the processes, the processes of menstruation and spermatogenesis and explain how these processes relate to reproduction and overall development. Overall development, maybe that could, you know, go into brain development, um, emotional development. And I will say that I read through the curriculum a bit deeper and thankfully there is a section in there that had like a teacher prompt that encourages the teacher to mention that, you know, in some cultures, menstruation is cause for celebration that maybe in other families, they choose not to talk about it. And maybe the way the media portrays it can be confusing. Knowing more about the process of what's happening can help them take better care of themselves. So that's really good. That means there is a glimpse of education that helps teachers to elaborate on the fact that there are feelings attached to this massive process happening in our bodies. But not a lot. It's a very small section. Most of the prompts given for teachers are very technical. I know that, you know, in grade five, this is just the initial learning of what's happening. So, you know, maybe further on in the curriculum, I did not do a deep dive into all 12 years of curriculum. So maybe further in there, there's more of the guides around the feelings that come along with your first bleed that come into play. But my point is, shouldn't that be one of the first things we talk about? Shouldn't we offer context to our young females who are figuring out not only their bodies, but their brains, their emotions? Shouldn't we do that right away? So they can understand the emotions and the feelings surrounding what's happening to them. So much of our learning centuries ago was passed down through storytelling, 
now we learn the anatomy of things, the science behind it, how it helps our bodies develop. But the feeling, the feeling has been lost in translation. How powerful to teach our young women about their bodies and their cycles through storytelling, through feelings, through memories where they can relate, where they can connect, where they can understand what's happening to them on a deeper emotional level. What a gift. Keep this pod episode handy if you have girls who are nearing their first cycle. Share those stories of those flockies A through H with them. Share your story with them. Share your grandma's story with them. Allow them to feel included in something super special and super sacred. journey to understanding my cycle started about two years ago. (gasps) For reference, I'm nearly 36, which means that it took me 34 years of being a woman, 20 years of having a hormonal and menstrual cycle, and two babies birthed because of that cycle to even really understand the intricacies of what was actually happening in my body each month. That's crazy. And I remember what sparked it. It was a real And this is where I'm like, social media does good if you're following the right places. It was a reel that I saw and someone had posted something about this concept of cycle syncing, which we're going to get to in a second. I had never heard that term before, so I was intrigued and I started to casually look a few things up. I I think I followed the person who posted the reel. I maybe like asked other people if they knew about it. Then I started to, you know, go to Google. I realized that there was an entire universe worth of things that I knew not a lick about when it came to my own body. I was like flabbergasted. I dove further and further and eventually came across Alyssa Vitti's book called In the Flow, Unlock Your Hormonal Advantage and Revolutionize Your Life. Again, that book, I'm going to link it in the show notes, but it's called In the Flow, Unlock Your Hormonal Advantage and Revolutionize Your Life. It's by Alyssa Vitti. What's funny is I had been using her app, actually, that's also called Flow, to track my fertility when we were in the stages of conceiving. I had no idea it went beyond this little tracker thing I was using on my iPhone. This part of the episode that I'm going to go into now, it dives into the very beginnings of what I learned in that book. Like, we're just scratching the surface here. There's so much information in that book. But we're going to scratch the surface today and really talk about the four phases of a woman's cycle and how knowing what each of them looks like in detail can allow us to thrive in ways we never knew were possible. I highly recommend going and purchasing the book. Every person I have recommended it to who's read it sings its praises. And that's a lot of people. I have recommended the book a lot. I'll post the link in the show notes for you on where you can grab a copy for yourself. She's also written a book called Woman Code that is on my list to read. I haven't yet, but maybe check that one out too. And if you have read it, I'd love to know like what your review is on it. So let me know. But otherwise, let's dive in here. This is your Cycle Basics 101 of what you need to know now. There's so much more, but what do you need to know now? As a woman, you have four phases in your 28-ish day cycle. Generally, We've been taught that day one of our cycle is the first day of our bleed, but VT flips this idea on its head when she says that our bleed is actually the culmination of our hormonal cycle, not the beginning. 
This notion of day one of your bleed being the day one of your cycle actually came into play in the medical world when it was predominantly only men who practiced medicine. Duh, of course. How many times has this happened over history? Uh, Many. Spoiler alert. Men have made decisions for women about women without being a woman. (laughs) Basically, the concept and the idea behind day one as your, your first day of your bleed was basically just an easier way to track it because day one started with a bleed for all females. It was like a visual, noticeable symptom that was happening for all women. But really, what VT considers the start of your bleed to be is the ending to your cycle. The start of your bleed signifies that you're, you're culminating your cycle. Let's talk about it in this way, okay? There are four phases of our hormonal cycle, and the first phase is called our follicular phase. It starts as soon as your bleed ends, and it usually lasts about seven to 10 days, and it's a time of beginning, a fresh start. She calls this in her book, prepare. Your body is quite literally preparing for ovulation. Since your follicle-stimulating hormone is sent to your ovaries to help some of the eggs inside it mature. This is a great time to explore new ideas, new things into your life, set intentions. Think of it kind of like the new year. It's actually, when you think about it in seasons, like the four seasons, which some people will relate to the cycle, it's your inner spring. We've just come out of the winter phase and we're just seeing new life all around us. It's the inner spring. And in this phase, your follicular phase, you're likely more apt to take risks and to start feeling more powerful. So use that to your advantage. That's phase one. Then we've got phase two, which is our ovulatory phase. It's short, but it's mighty. It lasts about three to four days, and we have a dramatic rise in estrogen here, followed by a rise in what we call our luteinizing hormone. And this is the time in our bodies when one follicle containing an egg matures fully and then bursts open and releases its egg. And then that egg travels to the fallopian tube and then to the uterus where the uterine lining has grown lush. So she calls this phase open up. Ooh, I love that. Ooh, open up. Others like to call it your inner summer. It's a period of feeling social, feeling communicative. You feel sexiest in this phase. You're at your most fertile. Your breasts are at their most perky. Your skin is glowing. Basically, your body is ready to make a baby. You look and you feel your most attractive and your most confident. And so this is a great time to book date night with your hubs. Although also be mindful that you're also at your most fertile here. (laughs) Or maybe you want to book a family photo shoot or something that requires you to have confidence. Schedule it here during this phase. As an example, my branding shoot that I did for the Joyful Flamingo, that was booked during my ovulatory phase, and it was perfect. Phase three is called our luteal phase. It lasts about 10 to 14 days, and she calls it the work phase. Others like to refer to it as your inner autumn. The follicle that released that egg in your previous portion of your cycle produces progesterone as it grows inside the ovary causing it to rise and thicken your womb lining in anticipation of a fertilized embryo. If the egg isn't fertilized, oestrogen and progesterone will drop to their lowest levels right before your period begins. Your energy in this phase starts to wane. So if you're like, why am I feeling so low? You're probably in your luteal phase. Your energy starts to wane. 
especially in the second half of this phase. So it's generally a really good time for completion. You're naturally inclined to finish projects up, tie up loose ends, and then begin to turn your attention inward to yourself. And then phase four is called our menstrual phase, which she depicts as rest. And others refer to it as your inner winter. This is when that follicle that contained the egg that wasn't fertilized gets reabsorbed back into your body while progesterone plunges. And together, that signals your uterus to shed its lining. You can tell a lot about your hormonal health when you look at your menstruation blood. What's the consistency? What's the color? What's the duration of your bleed? These are all telltale signs of your overall hormonal health. This phase lasts generally three to seven days and your energy is at its lowest ebb here. You may feel introverted and introspective. It's the ideal time for reflection, rest, and looking inward. I love this analogy that can be used with our four cycles to the four seasons. We do not do the same things. We don't eat the same things. We don't socialize in the same way in every season of the year, summer, spring, winter, fall. And that should also therefore be true for our cycle. When we understand that these four phases, what they are and how they affect our bodies and our brains differently, we can use what VT calls cycle syncing to support us to thrive through it all. And cycle syncing basically means that you're changing your lifestyle habits like your diet or your exercise to match the phases of your cycle. And by doing this, you may become more in tune with your hormonal needs, and then you can manage better what's happening to you throughout your cycle. As an example, the increase of estrogen can enhance the release of serotonin, which is our happiness neurotransmitter, right? This means that we're likely to feel more social, more verbal, more outgoing in the first half of our cycles during those follicular and ovulatory phases. It prompts us to be focused more on taking care of others. Whereas in the second half of our cycles, when our estrogen decreases, so do our serotonin levels, which then can cause a shift in our cognitive focus. And it encourages us to turn our attention inward, to nurture ourselves. We can use that knowledge so well. Our chemical makeup basically can help us in scheduling our life events. What should you be doing in the first half of your cycle? What should you be concentrating on in the second half of your cycle? This makes so much sense. There have been so many times over the past three decades that I would think to myself, hmm, okay, maybe not the past three decades, last two decades. I would think, hmm, I just did this very task last week and I felt so much more capable of doing it. Or why was I like so excited to go out with my girlfriends this weekend And now that it's here, I'm like, oh, all I want to do is stay home and read a book and go to bed early. I love this quote in the book where she says, quote, we cannot be in a perpetual state of harvest or constant service to others. Nature demands that we take time to rest and attend to our own needs and build balance into our hormonal cycle, end quote. This can really actually only happen when we actually know and understand what's happening to us in each phase of our cycle, and then be in tune enough to recognize the signs within yourself at every point of the month. Do more research. This is like a very brief overview, but this is me encouraging you, go on a hunt, go research. This is important shit. We need to balance our hormones, and we can do that through 
eating in a cyclical fashion that serves us, in exercising that way as well, in the way that we work, in the way that we communicate with people. As women, we have natural ebbs and flows. Instead of pushing those to the side and trying to power through and wondering why we don't see the results in any of the areas we're hoping for from one day to the next, we just need to acknowledge that there are better times of the month to do certain things for us. Why is that a bad thing? I'll tell you why. (laughs) Our society is built on the 24-hour circadian clock, which we do as women also experience. It is part of our body as well. But our bodies and hormones as women are not fully on that circadian clock. And we need to start normalizing that the way that we function from one phase to the next can potentially look drastically different. As women, once we hit that reproductive age, we have two clocks. We have our circadian clock, and that plays a huge role in our bodily functions, like sleep, for example. Also, we have a 28-day-ish infradian clock, which influences our brain chemistry and our physiology, i.e. our 28-day cycle. This clock gives us strengths and gifts at different times of the month. We should be using that to our advantage. And our two clocks need to work hand in hand together. They're closely tied. Just as hormonal ebbs and flows are going to affect our sleep, our body temperature, our heart rate, the same time any disturbances in our 24-hour circadian clock can also disrupt our hormonal cycle, which then can lead to irregular periods, etc. It's a lot of give and take here. There's a lot at play when we're working with two clocks. And there's been tons of research done showing us the effects of being out of tune with our circadian clock. The same is true for our infradian clock and our hormonal cycle. If we are not in tune with that as well, we will see it. We are seeing it manifest in our overall well-being. And I say are because I believe that probably most women on the planet are not educated enough to know how their body functions. Like even me still, I've been on this journey for two, three years, and I am trying to incorporate this into monthly habits. It's just been so ingrained to us that there's a 24-hour clock that we follow, right? So two clocks, living with two clocks can be tricky, especially in a world that's dominated by this 24-hour cycle. It just means we need to get really good at adjusting our relationship with time and with time management, and sharing with others why we're doing that. We need to schedule our to-do lists around our hormonal cycle. That will make a huge impact on our overall well-being. It's cycle syncing at its finest. Understanding why there are certain days where it feels so much easier or so much harder to eat a certain way, exercise a certain way, communicate a certain way, feel productive or not. If we start actually using our female reality when making our choices, we'll finally be taking charge. It's liberating. That is being in the flow. And you know what's not in the flow? Basically what most of us are doing on a daily basis. Watching only one clock and forgetting you actually have two. Trying to live in constant productivity. Submitting to the belief system that being busy is a badge of honor. Thinking that all success requires suffering, expecting to feel the same every damn day, experiencing hormonal imbalances, this is all out of flow. And if I just described you right now, don't fret. That's what this mini-series is all about this month. I wanted to start today off with the why and the what surrounding our cycles today, with the emotional piece at the beginning and then the importance behind the knowing about what's happening. In the upcoming episodes, we're also going to be diving into the how, 
the things you can actually do to support your hormonal cycle and improve how you feel throughout it, and how you can use your unique female clock as a powerful tool to upgrade your life. Imagine a generation of women who know truly, who know truly what's happening inside of them from month to month, who know how to identify it, how to communicate it to those around them, how to schedule around it, and how to use it to their advantage. And then that generation of women passing that torch down to the girls that they're raising. Oh my gosh, imagine that world so in tune with the best way to live for us as females. It's gonna happen. It's going to freaking happen. And it starts with us. Be part of the revolution, lean in, dive deep, ask questions challenge outdated information, suggest new ways of doing things, tune in, listen to your body, know what it's telling you, and share it with others. And you can start doing that today by sharing this episode. We're sharing the book, In the Flow, Unlock Your Hormonal Advantage and Revolutionize Your Life. Start by sharing those two resources with other people. Share this episode, send it to a friend, post it to your social media, and tag the Joyful Flamingo Save it for future reference for when you're ready to share it with your daughters. So fucking grateful for you. (laughs) I know, that was intense. Usually I use flipping, but I feel heated today. (laughs) Every single one of you I'm so grateful for. Thank you for being part of the Joyful Flamingo Flock. Until next time. Just a reminder, Flamingo Flock, that I am not a medical or psychological professional. Each one of my episodes has been inspired by my own experience and journey through life and is brought to you through my own opinions and lens. Any suggestions or advice offered here do not substitute proper conversations with your own healthcare professionals for either your physical or mental well-being.